You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Okay, if you could all join me with the prayer for the word, and then we'll read from God's scripture. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 15. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured and as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offences, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offences. This is the word of the Lord. All right, if you were here last week, you'll know that we left Jesus in the middle of his prayer, which I thought was a bit rude of you guys, but um, we're going to we're going to rejoin him now. Uh, we cut him off after that first threefold uh, opening to the model prayer that he's given to us as his followers. Um, this is how we ought to pray, not what we ought to pray. We're not bound to the words that he's given us, but how we ought to pray, how we ought to approach God in prayer. And so you, you saw the, um, in, in the translation that I like from uh, the New Testament for everyone, verses 9 to 10, I should jump up on the screen now and I'll just remind you where we left off last time. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, three things. May your name be honoured, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. That is the heart cry of every one of Jesus' followers. The, The follower of Jesus who knows the way the world is and the way the world ought to be and into that tension in the the kind of now and not yetness of the world that we live in, in the kingdom, but the kingdom not yet fully realized, in that tension we pray that God's name, that God's kingdom, that God's will would be present, manifest among us as it is in heaven. So we yearn for it to be on the earth. And so on those terms we come to our Father in prayer. And so that kind of threefold expression of desire for the way we want the world to be is then followed by the three requests that God's children make of him as their father and um, and because you pay me the big bucks uh, I've delivered this morning and I've got three P's for you these are the three P's that we pray according to Jesus we pray for provision we pray for pardon and we pray for protection Three things, three Ps. And we're just going to cycle through them as Jesus leads us and begin then with provision in verse 11. Hank, just let me actually, before we, before we read verse 11, I just want to do a little survey. By a show of hands, with no lying, um, I'm a priest. You're not allowed to lie. All right, so here, here we go. Show of hands, survey. Who, who has daily prayed some version of this prayer uh, every, every day for the past week. 
So I'm, I'm guessing about 10 people. I know there's about 100 people on Zoom right now, so I don't know if you've got your hands up or not, but uh, good, to, good to be with you, by the way. Um, so, you know, some, probably more than I was expecting, actually, but some nonetheless. N- no doubt people who were kind of instructed from an early age or at least discipled in this um, pattern of prayer, kind of just doing what Jesus tells us to do, insofar as praying it daily, some version of it, hopefully not kind of these words gilded and uh, put on a plaque. Uh, I don't think that's really what Jesus had in mind, but using this as a platform for amplification of that prayer, then that, that's good to know. Um, I'm going to address why it is, I think, that we find it difficult to pray this daily and for it to come from any sort of um, heart-level sense of conviction, all right? And we're going to see why. There's some pretty obvious reasons why this is difficult for us in our day and age. Let's see. First of all, number one, the first P I've got is provision, and that comes from verse 11 of chapter 6. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. This is how you know that it's a daily prayer. He just assumes that we'll be asking for these things each day and specifically here for our daily bread. Now, if we're honest, I think like a big reason that we don't pray this with any sense of conviction is because we don't need God to answer this prayer for us. We don't need him to provide food for us. We've got that. We've got food. Like, I don't need to pray, please, Lord, give me my daily bread, enough bread for this day to sustain me. Like, I've got Uber Eats. I just just open it up and say, give me food, and someone brings it to me simple. We've kind of outsourced that. We've got an app for that. It's difficult for us to come before God with any sense of urgency. I mean, we could pray this because that's kind of what we're meant to do, but out of a sense of need, it's difficult for us to come to this, particularly this point of the prayer with any sense of need because we already feel sufficiently provided for. A huge obstacle to prayer, like let's just generalize for a minute, a huge obstacle to me praying ever at all with any sense of urgency is my sense of self-sufficiency. The sense that I am an independent person, quite well provided for, is a huge obstacle to prayerfulness. If we come to kingdom prayer tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and there's three of us here, it's probably because it's really cold and wet outside or because no one really feels the need. You get the cancer diagnosis and suddenly then you're turning up to prayer meetings. But otherwise, I mean, really, do we need to, do we need to daily come before God and ask for bread? Not really. Our world prizes independence. I told you I've been binging 
I don't love that term, by the way, but anyway, I've been binging um, the TV show Alone with Renee. Um, if I've got dark rings around my eyes, I always do. Um, but if I've got particularly um, heavy bags, it's because we just can't turn that thing off at night. Um, and it's a show where it's like people who are into survival and outdoor lifestyle um, just get dropped off in the wilderness, in the Arctic, in the, in, I don't know, various places and have to survive on their own. They have to find their own food. Nothing gets provided for them. They have to build their own shelters. And it's just great. Like, it's just exhilarating to see. First of all, the guy who just thinks he is an absolute beast who doesn't make it through the first night because the, he hears the wolves howling or whatever, that's fun. But, um, but then progressively, you know, at the 50-day mark, 60, 70-day mark, where you see these emaciated, skeletal survivors just trying to get through each day. When the, when the winter sets in and the food runs out, just to see all of their misapprehensions and delusions about self-sufficiency fall away. It's easy to feel self-sufficient when you've got Uber Eats. But suddenly, when you don't get food unless you can find food, and finding food is really hard, then you get to see the kind of context that Jesus is asking us to pray into. You see these really capable, strong, um, like the description, that they have little interviews with their families and try and get you to all you know, emotional about the contestants. And one of them was a woman who had multiple sclerosis. It was just a phenomenal woman out there surviving on her own. Her kids were like, the first thing they said about her was she is a strong, independent woman. That's what we prize. Independence, self-sufficiency. And, and all of that is delusion. All of it is nonsense. We are not either independent or self-sufficient. Not at all. When you, when you shift your mindset, the, the way that you get into this prayer is to shift your mindset, clear out the delusions, and see the fact that you are not just dependent on God for bread, but for breath. Thank you, God, for that gift. The analogy that comes to my mind is the sun, right? We absolutely depend on the sun for every minute of our lives. Without the sun, everything is frozen hard and everyone dies, right? Immediately. Or however long it takes for the sun's rays to get here from that far away. I don't know, I can't do the maths. But, you know? And yet we totally take it for granted that the sun will rise every day. Absolutely take it for granted. The same is true of God himself. He is the son of our universe. We are utterly dependent on him for every single pump of your blood vessels. And only when we understand that can we do away with delusions of self-sufficiency and come before him and say, give me today my daily bread. Whether I find myself scrounging for mushrooms on an island in the Arctic or just dialing up another Uber Eats, like everything comes from you. This is why it's important for us to say grace, even if we don't feel thankful. So everything comes from God's gracious hand and saying this prayer or some version of it reminds us of this fact changes our mindset, cuts out that 
cancerous growth of self-sufficiency. You know, like Jesus told us really carefully and really um, specifically at the beginning of this sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit is like the opposite of strong, independent, self-sufficient person. The poor in spirit are those who know everything they have comes from God and they have nothing to offer him. Yeah. Give us today our daily bread, provision. We need you for everything we need. We need you to come through or we're finished. That's what this prayer reminds us. Provision. And then he moves into pardon. So, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Other gospels will use the word trespasses, others sins. The idea is that before God, in every way that we have failed to live the way that he designed us to live, reflecting his glory, living day to day like his son, the perfect image of God, in every way that we have failed to do that, we've incurred a debt against him. And we've been racking those debts up fairly solidly day to day from the day we were conceived, never mind born. Now the reason I think we find it difficult to pray this prayer is kind of strangely the same reason that we find the the food thing difficult we don't pray for food because we've already got food and we don't pray for forgiveness because we've already got that too the glorious truth that i am forgiven by god freely past present and future declared not guilty declared righteous in christ is also the reason that I failed to ask him for forgiveness. It's a good thing that gets in the way of a good thing. It's a beautiful thing that gets in the way of a necessary thing. Why do I need to daily come before God and ask for for forgiveness when he's already declared me forgiven? And I, man, I did not resolve this one until last year, I think. And it was when someone pointed it out to me the importance of seeing the metaphors that the, that the Bible is using in understanding our relationship to God, right? So this is, that, that sounded really complex, it's not. This is, this is the whole thing. When the New Testament speaks of us being not guilty, when the New Testament speaks to us of being declared righteous, um, It's taking us into a metaphor of understanding our relationship with God and the metaphor, the picture that it's painting is of us in the law court. Okay? So Paul, when he's writing to the Roman church and saying, you have been declared righteous in Christ, he is inviting them into a courtroom and saying, God is a judge, you are a convict, and God looks at you and he has declared you righteous because when he looks at you, he sees you in his son who is perfectly righteous in every way. Therefore, he declares you with Christ not guilty. Now, when Jesus 
tells us to pray daily for forgiveness, he's not taking us into the law court, he's taking us into the family room. We're in the family room now. So yes, of course, we have been declared righteous in the law court, but we're living with our Father in the family room. We're living in His household. And when you have a relationship, familial relationship with someone, you better believe you need to be asking for forgiveness daily. If you are right now in a family where you are not asking the members of your family, young and old, for forgiveness daily, God help you, like, repent You need to. India and Judah are my children and they will always be my children. That has been declared in the same way that my forgiveness has been declared. No matter what they do, no matter how much they hate me, no matter how much they turn against me or no matter how much I hurt them or disown them. Nothing will ever change the nature of our relationship. They are my children. I am their father. That has been declared. And yet, the relationship must be maintained through willing repentance, forgiveness. So it is with our relationship with God, not that he ever needs to ask us for forgiveness, but that we absolutely and without a doubt need to daily ask Him for forgiveness. We need to mend that relationship over and over and over again. So Jesus just simply tells us, daily, come before your daddy and say, forgive me. I owe you. Please forgive me. Now, if it wasn't enough of an obstacle in the first part of that verse, us to ask our Father to forgive us our debts, then the second part of it's really a massive barrier to us, that bit that says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hmm. The one assumes the other, of course. And we're going to come back to this. He just hangs a little footnote on verse 12 and then comes back to it at 14 and 15, I presume because he knows that we will deliberately forget it. So we'll come back to that in a second. But here, here, like the obvious implication is that as we are asking him for forgiveness, we're also dishing it out. So the question is, like, are you in the habit, the daily habit of daily forgiving debts? Is that the pattern of your existence? The truth is that when anyone sins against you, when anyone hurts you, when anyone betrays you, they incur a debt to you. When anyone sins against you, they rob you. They take something from you. They rob you of happiness or of peace or of reputation. They rob you. So now they owe you. They're indebted to you. Jesus says and assumes that people will constantly be indebted to you, constantly be hurting you, And he says to his followers each day, 
pray that God would forgive your debts as you forgive the debts of others. There's a couple of things you can do with a debt. You can hang on to it and hold it over the person that owes you. Exercise that power over them. Or you can release them. You can absorb the cost and release the debt. They're your two options. And Jesus just gives you a blanket commandment here. Release it. Release it. Don't hold on to it. Release it. Release that person from their debt. That's the call to every disciple. I know this gets way harder than how I'm making it out right here. I know some of you have been sinned against in ways like that are beyond even thinking about. We're not just talking about owing 20 cents, and 50 cents. These are enormous debts. And Jesus still asks you to release them. And we don't have time to go into this in much detail, but it just bears saying that when Jesus is asking you to release someone from debt, when he says forgive them, he's not asking you to excuse them. Forgiving is not the same as excusing. He's not asking you to condone what they've done. He's not asking you to say, Ah, forget about it. No problem. We trained our kids to ask each other for forgiveness. And something we've had to try and untrain them in is, like if, someone, if, if India says to Judah, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that, we need to untrain them from saying, that's all right. Or don't worry about it. We don't want them just to dismiss the real cost We want them to say, I forgive you. That is, I release you from the debt. It's not the same as excusing. It's not the same as condoning. It's not even the same as reconciling. Reconciling requires mutuality. Reconciling requires the person who has hurt you to be on board with making things right again. And that's often a long process, if it ever happens. This is a daily prayer. This is a first step. This is a, I am not going to hold this over you. I release you from this debt. It's a daily exercise, but it's going to cost you, friends. Forgiving anyone any debt, just put it in economic terms, right? Forgiving anyone any debt costs you. It costs you. To release someone from a debt that they have incurred by hurting you costs you. You don't get that delicious feeling of holding it over them. You don't get the boost to one's self-righteousness. It costs you. It costs you to be bruised and not call for compensation. 
that genius Mark Twain put it poetically. I've, I've told you this before. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. That's beautiful. It's also pathetic. If you are really into, really invested in your dignity and your um, uh, people respecting you and you... You know, we're back to that strong, independent, self-sufficient person thing. If that's how you want to live, if you always want to be justified in everything you do, then this picture of being a crushed violet that sheds fragrance on the very foot that has crushed it doesn't make any sense. And neither does pretty much any day of Jesus' life. Because he's the great example for us, right? In embracing the cost of being gracious to those around us, Jesus is our example. We have no better one. I mean, you can search around. I invite you, search the annals of human history and you will not find a greater example of someone for us to follow, someone who embraced the cost of forgiving others It put him on a cross. It won't cost us that much, but it will cost us. Let me read to you Paul's words to the Colossian church. He knows how much Christians struggle with this. And so he says, Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, put it on like a jumper, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving Forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. If anyone has a debt. What's the example? Well, you do it just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also are to forgive. So every time someone's indebted to you and you feel like calling it in or even better, just holding it over them, you just need to ask yourself the question, has God forgiven me, my debts? Is the debt that he has forgiven me comparable to this thing that I'm holding over someone else? It's not comparable, actually. It's infinitely greater. So, hang up that footnote. Jesus is just going to come back to it in a second. But first, for whatever reason, he's going to jump into verse 13. Here we're going to talk about protection, provision, pardon, protection. He says, we should pray, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, here's, here's, the, quick, here's the, the quick version of this. Um, I was going to say something, but Judah just gave me a better thing to say, all right? So this is, he writes all my sermons. So what, what I want to say is, uh, yeah, that's right, the world that we live in 
is full of trials, full of temptations, full of difficulties and dangers, full of enemies. Satan, sin and death. The evil one and evil itself. All of these things are opposed to us. The evil one, he hates God's kingdom. He hates God's kids. And we are God's kids. And we're living in God's kingdom. And so all of his hatred is poured out on us. Again, this is hard for us to see because we just don't see the world like this. We don't see Satan at large among us. We get casual reminders that he's at large in the world. You know, when people sit in the right lane doing 90 or when you see the amount of genuine heartache, heartbreak. I mean, at every turn, everywhere you go, in your own family and the families of those around you. There's much to grieve in this world and there's much to be delivered from. And so if that's true, of course you're going to pray this to your daddy. If, you, if you're daily coming before a God who loves you and has triumphed over all of these things, of course you're going to say, oh, by the way, please deliver me. Please bring me safely through this day. Please save me from temptation. Help me to persevere through it. Please deliver me. Please keep me safe from. Please keep me away from the evil one. He's a roaring lion. He's prowling around. I would love not to be torn to pieces today, Father. Please save me. Please protect me. Makes sense that as defenseless sheep, utterly dependent on God for everything, that we should pray this way. Provision, pardon, protection, daily coming before our daddy and asking for those things that we need. Now, most of us come to the end of this prayer and we are just primed to launch into its liturgical ending, right? For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. So some of us are primed to do that because we grew up in traditions like I did in the Anglican church where that is the the liturgical flourish at the end of the prayer. And you probably have a note in your Bible that says that some of the early manuscripts have that as an ending. And I take it what's happening there is that as the, the church starts to gather, as Christian people start organizing, and as they start having church services, they would use this prayer, that prayer that Jesus taught them to pray in their church service. And rather than finishing on a bit of a downer like he does, they wanted a liturgical flourish. They wanted a... a a, a, a benedictory finish, right? So yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory is a good finish, and it's in early manuscripts. It's not something that Jesus said. So we use it, and it's great, and it's true, and it's wonderful, but it's not how Jesus ended it. Jesus ended on the note that he needed his disciples to hear. And for that, he went back to the forgiving others thing. Because if he ended on yours as the king, the power, and the glory, would be like, ha, ah, yes, praise the Lord. Now, what's next? He wants to do some business with us. So with my last few minutes, I'm going to take us to the last two verses 
verse 13, uh, sorry, 14 and 15. For, Jesus says, if you forgive others their offences, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offences. He had to do that, didn't he? We were so close to putting a bow on it. And yet he needs us to know this because he knows our hearts and the Sermon on the Mount is all about speaking to our hearts and wanting our hearts to be reformed, to reflect the nature of his heart. So at the heart level, this is what we need to hear. Unless we forgive others, we won't be forgiven. I've, I've heard the preachers trying to do the gymnastics to make this not say what it says. I won't do it. I think he just means what he says. This is not God petulantly sitting up on the throne saying, well, you haven't forgiven that guy, so I'm not forgiving you. He's not, he's not petulant. This is a simple statement of fact. God cannot forgive an impenitent penitent person. God cannot forgive someone who is not able to accept his grace. And someone who withholds forgiveness from others simply hasn't yet understood the gospel and therefore cannot be forgiven. The kind of work that needs to be done around forgiveness for incredibly grievous, egregious acts of abuse and so on needs to be done in, in small groups over many years. I know there are good reasons why it's incredibly difficult to let go. But I don't want to dilute what Jesus is saying. The evidence that you haven't yet come to a place where you can receive God's grace is when you haven't yet been able to grant grace to others, release people from their debts. In the words of Adolf Schlatter, he said it this way, very simply, there is no serious prayer for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. Now, I just want Jesus to illustrate this for us because, well, he's just better at it than I am, okay? He's going to give us an illustration of this and leave us in no doubt as to his position on the matter. And the illustration comes from a parable, one of his lengthier parables, and I'm going to have to ask you just to bear with me as I read it. It's one of the parables that, parables that I cannot numb myself to. This gets me every time because it exposes me as a hypocrite. It exposes me as someone who wants to receive and not dispense and so I want you to listen to this. You might even like to close your eyes. I want you to listen to this story that Jesus tells. It's, this, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's in Matthew chapter 18, if you want to look it up now or come back to it at some other time. And I'll read it for us. 
Matthew recalls this time that Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother and sister, my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Which, to quote my kids, is just another way of saying infinity times. It's infinity times. And he tells the story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. I looked it up. There's some kind of ancient stock exchange thing that I found last night. And this is 10 billion with a B dollars in our money. So just the 10 billion debt. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him $10 billion was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything they had to be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me. I'll pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I think that's about 15 grand. He went out and found one of his servants who owed him 15 grand. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, They were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So, also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. That's the story. That's the illustration. That's the takeaway. You're pretty mad, aren't you, at the 
Christians who told you that if you became a Christian, you'd have an easy life, a better life, a smooth life. Jesus never told you that. He's made it really clear in this sermon that the narrow way is a hard way. This is hard. C.S. Lewis recognized this. Let me quote you as he reflected on this. He said, this is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, he said it, not me, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions and God means what he says. This is my this is my um, this is my invitation to us to pray this as a daily prayer. I imagine that we will get better at forgiving the debts of others if we are daily receiving release from our own debts. I imagine we'll grow in our gratitude for the things that we have, the everyday stuff of life, the bread, the breath, if we are daily asking God to provide them for us. I imagine that we will be more mindful that we have enemies, that we have temptations, that we have trials before us if we are daily asking God to spare us them. And so with that in mind, I invite you few of us have been praying this day to day. Why don't we all do it? Next week we're going to get to that third uh, leg on the stool of piety. That third leg after giving to the poor, praying to our Father, fasting from food. We're going to get to that next week. Until then... Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this time that we've spent in your word once more and I thank you for speaking to us through it. Please help us. There isn't a person in this place that finds it easy to forgive debts and we all need your grace. Not just for our debts to be forgiven but the capacity to forgive others. So please help us in that. Help us day to day to start instituting this pattern of prayer. Help us each day to follow in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. During this